Good evening to you. Good day if you're watching this down the road. David Penn here, welcoming you back to the 56th episode of the Professor Penn Podcast. We've started out with something very serious. We're working on a theme, a theme of depravity. What happens when human arrogance runs off the rails to the extent that a scientific class of people decides who shall live and who shall die. That's what we're talking about. Trying to understand what's going on in our world. I hope you're well. Uh, it's a little strange to talk about well-being in the face of such depravity. But nonetheless, we're going to have to maintain our well-being so we can continue to advance the idea of human well-being and human freedom. I cannot give in. I cannot withdraw. I cannot give up. I have to continue working with you to build this community such that the leaders of this country focus our policies and the resources of the American people on the well-being of the American people. That's what we're working on. I want to thank Free People Radio for giving the Professor Penn Podcast this platform so that we can build our connection in our community. PrecinctStrategy.com for everything you need to know to get into the game of politics. We had Dan Schultz in studio last week, and uh, it was a pleasure to have him here. I want to thank Dan for visiting. We hope to have him back soon again. He's an American hero, and uh, as it is with all heroes, his real heroes don't need to act like heroes. Real heroes are quiet. They don't aggrandize themselves because their heroism has nothing to do with who they are. It has to do with their altruism or their willingness to work for the well-being of the people. And I appreciate that. Dan's been a tremendous leader for all of us in the freedom movement. You know, we're Truth Media. Truth Media. Truth Media, that means we're seeking the truth. We're not saying we know what the truth is. We're saying we're seeking it. We're not buying a narrative. And we're working together with the patriot economy that are those businesses and people that support the movement. So I want to take a minute and talk about Tireget.com. Tireget.com, an online e-commerce store that has all you need for tires. Whatever you need for tires, go to Tireget.com. T-I-R-E-G-E-T dot com, and it's there for you and your family. Major brand tires, tires that are built here in the United States of America because we in the patriot economy want to support American manufacturing. Now, of course, we've got low-cost tires there too, but if you're interested in buying an American-made tire, we've got them there, and we've got them there at the best possible price. And let me also share with you, when you go and buy tires on TireGet.com, you can order your service. We will ship the tires directly to your local tire store. You pay for the service online at the market price. You show up at your appointed time. It's a cashless transaction. They slap the tires on, and away you go. So thank you very much for supporting TireGet.com. All right, we got that out of the way. That's part of what we got to do here. And for those of you who are are loyal you know, listeners and viewers, understand it's not that we're trying to get rich. We're trying not to go broke. 
all the forces of the U.S. government and of the world government, all those powers are pressing in on the independent business person, the shopkeeper. They don't want us in business. They want us broken, poor, and they're doing a heck of a good job getting it done. And why are they doing it? Number one, we're a downward drag on their profits. And number two, we fund the truth media. Look at Professor Penn. Look what I'm doing. I'm taking the money that I have and I'm pouring it into trying to talk to you to get out the truth or my seeking of truth, which I've been doing my whole life. And as I've said many times, I was raised to be an academic and I just didn't do it because I can't fit in there. But it doesn't mean that I'm not educated. It doesn't mean that I don't have an an aware mind. I have a wealth of experience. You have a wealth of experience. We're putting it all together in a pot. And that pot is supposed to come up with one delightful outcome, freedom and well-being for the American people. That's what we're working for, freedom and well-being. That's it. And we have a supernatural helper, which is, you know, something that we really need. We need that supernatural help, and we get that through prayer. So, blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for my American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. You know, we have a a real need in this country to get back to principles. Principles. We need, we as a, the American people need to act out of a set of principles that go beyond just material desires and gains. We need a return to spiritual principles to balance out our materialism. I'm not saying that material benefits are not worthy or beneficial. I'm saying that materialism, unbridled, with unlimited ambition, leads to unhealth, unwellness, to slavery and death. And that's where we're headed, full speed. So if we're going to pull back on the reins of the horsemen, we're going to need to reestablish our spiritual center, our principles. We have great institutions that are filled with corrupt people. There's nothing wrong with the institutions of our country. The institutions, like universities and colleges, a beautiful idea, a beautiful idea, staffed with materialists who do not have any spiritual connection, who are aimed 
aiming all their research and all their power on creating a scientific world. It just doesn't work for me. And I'm sure it doesn't work for you because you're here listening to me. And the key is to spread it out. Good morning, Tanner. Good morning. Tanner was just telling me how difficult it is for him to talk to members of his community because we have this new judgment that's been implanted. And that judgment is we don't talk about politics, right? Yeah. Isn't that convenient? It's terrible. I want to compliment you for sharing with me that you have the courage to try to talk to people because I think you're watching me episode after episode, asking the audience to spread out the content. It's having some effect on you, obviously. Yeah. I I think that it's starting to open up my eyes. I'm starting to have a little bit of a fire under my butt. So I'm trying to get as involved as I can. And then I look around, I'm like, oh, well, I want my friends and family to be just as involved as I am and like safe. So, and guess what? You got some resistance there, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, we start one person at a time. Remember, you always can go to the Professor Penn podcast on X, on Getter, download the shorts and the clips, send them out. You are a force multiplier. You are an editor. It's your effort to build this community that will determine whether we have well-being and freedom or slavery and death. It's up to each one of us. Now, speaking of each one of us, well, Tanner, play this piece on uh, Musk and the Ukraine and Starlink that I've got keyed up there, please. Now, Elon Musk recently took the social media platform X and stated that in 2022, SpaceX refused an emergency request from Ukraine to activate Starlink satellites near Crimea to sink a Russian fleet. Musk's post on X comes after reports emerged claiming that Musk had shut down Starlink satellites near Crimea in 2022 to prevent a Ukrainian attack on a Russian fleet. The claims were made in a biography of Elon Musk written by Walter Isaacson. A day after claims that Musk shut down satellites to stop a Ukrainian attack, the multi-billionaire took to social media platform X and set the record straight. Musk wrote, the Starlink regions in question were not activated. SpaceX did not deactivate anything. He further added there was an emergency request from government authorities to activate Starlink all the way to Sevastopol, the obvious intent being to sink most of the Russian fleet at anchor. If I had agreed to their request, then SpaceX would be explicitly complicit in a major act of war and conflict escalation. According to Musk's biography, written by Isaacson, Ukraine was directing submarine drones to attack the Russian fleet off the coast of Crimea. However, after Musk's orders to disconnect the Starlink satellites, the drones lost connectivity and washed ashore without hitting the targets. The biography, which is to be released next week, claimed that Musk feared Russia would launch nuclear weapons if Ukraine successfully attacked Crimea. It further said that Musk ordered engineers to turn off Starlink satellites to avoid a mini Pearl Harbor since Ukraine had planned an attack on the Russian fleet in Crimea. Thank you. That's, that's good enough. That's good enough. Thank you. So this goes back to my comment, or harkens back, <clears throat> The institutions are fine. It's the people. Now, people have different views about Elon Musk. 
And the fact that this is coming out now with a book written by the sine qua non of globalists, Walter Isaacson, makes me wonder. Maybe Walter Isaacson, who I just saw personally a couple weeks ago, maybe he's getting a little nervous about the way this is going. Maybe he's defecting. Maybe Elon Musk is defecting. It doesn't mean they're not globalists. It doesn't mean that they're right, wrong, or indifferent. We don't know the jury's out. But certainly Elon Musk decided that he was not going to help the Ukrainians sink the Russian fleet at anchor. And he got a lot of crap for this. Boy, I'll tell you, Jelinski, that would be President Jelinski of the Ukraine, was very, very disparaging towards Elon Musk over this issue and it coming out, you know, in a prelude to this book. Great way to sell books, right? It's going to make Walter Isaacson a nice piece of coin. But the point is, he wouldn't allow his Starlink technology to be used to create conditions that could lead to a nuclear war which means that there's some mm, dissonance in the ruling class, the elites. They're not quite sure what to do here. They're not quite sure what to do. And that, after all, is because it's a jump ball. The uh, alliance of the elites, the Anglo-American banking cartel, the Europeans, the Russians, the Chinese, the oil-producing countries, the powers that be, they're no longer in harmony. They're in conflict, not about the basic ideals of globalism and science, but in who's going to be the boss and what's the split going to be. And if we keep pushing as the American people, demanding human freedom, human well-being, that science is subordinated to faith, that all science and its products are in service to the human project, to humanity, to human well-being, hey, we got a shot. We got a shot. And that's all I'm promising is a shot. Nothing here is guaranteed. This is a very, very dangerous moment. And that's why I'm going to ask you to form that community, bring people to the podcast. I, you know, it sounds like I'm trying to make money. Okay. If I make money, I stay on air and I have even more resources to work in the movement. Help us make this movement a success. There are many, many people doing this. And you're listening and watching to many others. I know it. But we are a very um, detailed political process podcast, which we embed within the entire context of philosophy, history, and politics. So we're doing things a little bit differently, and I need your help. And I want to thank you for sharing it with me. So it's not the institutions. It's the people. If the people proclaim sacred honor, Our institutions will be filled with sacred honor. Go back on your own because you have to see it for yourself. Go look at the mottos of our elite institutions, those mottos that were assigned to these institutions when they were established. And you'll see that these institutions were established specifically and only to transmit the concept of sacred honor from one generation to the next. Hey, our institutions have been occupied by people without sacred honor. That's our fault, and it's our opportunity to fix it. So that's what we're going to work on together. Interesting subject matter today. The title of this episode is American Nazis, and uh, a subject that troubled me for many years and something that I want to comment on today is Nazis and communists. 
So we're going to take 15 minutes and talk about Nazis and communists philosophically. What's the difference? Who are these people, Nazis and communists? Tanner, can you uh, play this um, 57-second clip on Hitler and his prediction about European Jewry, please? If the people of the Earths will soon realize that National Socialism does not desire enmity with people, please let me once again be a prophet. If international finance jury inside and outside of Europe succeeds in plunging the peoples of the Earth once again into a world war, this will not result in the Bolshevization of the Earth and thus a Jewish victory, but in the annihilation of the Jewish race in Europe. And the crowd goes wild. Isn't that great? Look at them. Everybody's so excited. So, as I said in the last podcast, I've been saying, and I want to say it again here, our notion of time and space is created for us. It's a cultural artifact. All there ever is is right now. So right now, these ideas are inside my head. I have images. I don't know where they came from. I didn't film that. Make a lot of assumptions. Hey, you know, I assume that was made at the Reichstag in Germany before World War II started. Could have been filmed in Hollywood. How do I know? I mean, there's a lot of things here that get very bizarre when you go down that rabbit hole. What's down at the bottom of that rabbit hole? That's why we don't want to stick our arm down there. And when I stick my arm down that rabbit hole, what I see is Hitler didn't predict that the German people would prevail in a battle against Bolshevism or that Nazism would become the prevailing political ideology of the world. What he predicted was, as a prophet, let me be a prophet once again, that if the world is plunged into another war, European Jewry will be destroyed. And yes, it was. So actually, if you look at it from that perspective, Herr Hitler's goal was 100% accomplished. Let's play this next one, please. This is very interesting. Let's learn a little bit more about neo-Nazis and uh, communists. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. In Berkeley, California, at least 20 people were arrested as fights broke out between white nationalist Trump supporters and anti-fascist protesters during competing rallies stop it, on Saturday. Now, this Democracy Now! is a very leftist news source. I recommend that everybody listen to all kinds of news. This is really far left. This is farther left than MSNBC. And right off the bat, they're identifying that fascist, neo-fascist, neo-Nazi Trump supporters are clashing with anti-fascists known as Antifa. So right off the bat, if you happen to be what's quote-unquote a mega Republican, if you have that role, you are being identified by the left as a Nazi, a fascist. Please continue. The Trump rally was organized in part by a group called the Proud Boys, which describe themselves as Western chauvinists. Can we stop it's that, led- please? And these Proud Boys were involved in the January 6th event, and their leadership is going to jail for, like, forever. They're going to jail forever because the armed insurrection 
These people are terrorists, and they're getting 20-year prison sentences, and bye-bye for these people. Their lives are over. Please continue. By Gavin McInnes, the co-founder of Vice magazine, photos show some of the Trump supporters posing with the Nazi salute. Police say at least one person was stabbed during the clashes. Several more were injured. In one instance, a known white supremacist was videotaped punching a young anti-fascist woman named Louise Rosalma in the face. The man who was seen punching her is Nathan D'Amigo, a former Marine who founded the white supremacist organization known as Identity Europa. To talk more about what happened at the rallies, we go to Washington, D.C., where we're joined by Shane Bauer, award-winning senior reporter at Mother Jones. He reported on Twitter during the protest that some of the Trump supporters were members of armed right-wing militias. His recent piece headlined, I went behind the front Can lines we stop of the it far just right— for a second? So let's look at the motif here as we get through this. What this news commentator is presenting is that Trump supporters are Nazis, fascists, and that they're beating up women. Hey, you couldn't get any worse than that. That's, that's you know, that's really— the worst, right? A man who is a, a fascist, who is a white man with short blonde hair, punching an anti-fascist woman right in the face and knocking her down. Doesn't get any worse than that. And, I, you know, I have to say, for everyone, because I know I have a lot of young people listening to me, it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. If you have superior skill, martial skill, and you harm weaker people, that's dishonorable. There's no honor when the strong parasitize the weak. That's what we're fighting. So let's be very cognizant if you've never hit someone. And I, you know, if you've never hit someone, it's, you know, it's unexplored territory, uncharted territory. Please. Listen to Professor Penn about this. Honor comes in risking your life, not in beating up the weak. Please continue. Agitators who invaded Berkeley. Last year, he wrote about the ongoing undercover uh, he, with uh, right-wing border militia. He also just won a National Magazine Award for Best Reporting for his reporting going undercover at a private prison. Shane, welcome back to Democracy Now! Talk about what you saw on the streets. Thanks for having me, Amy. Well, uh, essentially, Shame, this is the, essentially this is the the third major clash that has happened in Berkeley uh, of this kind, and each of these uh, these rallies have had a larger representation of uh, white nationalist groups. Uh, this group, this this rally was uh, called by a coalition of the far right uh, under the banner of free speech. It was uh, they were saying it was a free speech rally uh, in the city that was known for its uh, 1960s um, free speech movement. Uh, I think many of the counter protesters saw that this banner, free speech banner as a cover for um, you know white supremacist groups and fascist groups to to organize. So when I went to the demonstration, uh, essentially the the park that it was being held in was uh, cordoned off by the police. The police were checking people for weapons. There were people on. Uh, there was essentially a line drawn between the two sides, and people were were shouting at each other. And it didn't take long before uh, the situation turned into an all-out brawl, where where dozens of people are punching and kicking each other. 
Um, and as time passed, the, the police essentially uh, disappeared, and uh, there was uh, kind of for hours ebbs and flows of of major clashes uh, between the two sides. I want to turn to a clip, one of the videos that you posted, um, a couple of videos you posted on Twitter from Saturday's protest. In these clips, you talked to police officers on duty during the protest. You guys are hanging back. That would be a good question for the chief of police. I mean, I haven't seen the cops around doing just like out of each other. A public statement, right? Uh, no, I'm just asking you guys. I mean, you're here. I would defer you to our public information officer. So they told you to hang back? As I said, I defer you to our public information officer. What's your next question? I mean, I'm just wondering why I've been I've been watching all day. People get get you know beat up pretty bad. I haven't seen you guys around much. Well, there you have it. Antifa, Antifa, anti-fascists, anti-fascists. That'd be communists, anti-fascists. They're communists. And then we have this broadcaster, this commentator saying that Trump supporters are neo-Nazi fascists. Isn't that interesting? Well, let's just play this last little piece here kind of bring a little clarity to this. I think Biden's better than Trump because he sends rockets to Ukraine. <laughs> in, in support of Ukraine, you mean? Hell Ukraine, hell Azov. Yeah, Tell me this, Christopher. Uh, you are, you know, a sizable gathering, but... Interesting. A little bit of Ukrainian there in the background. And the uh, Nazi... Uh, let's just call him a Nazi since he was wearing a swastika. Come on. He said, well, he likes Biden better than Trump because Biden is uh, backing up the Azov Battalion. Interesting. These things are complex. We have to sort them out. That's what we're going to do here. So, we, you know, let me just ask you, tell me in the live chat, has any of you ever wondered about the difference between Nazism and communism? Do we know that Hitler viewed Russian Bolshevism, communism, and Russian Jewry as the greatest threat to the Nazi movement. Why is that? Why did the Germans turn and attack Russia? Because, you know, they formed a, a mutual defense pact. They formed a surprising non-aggression pact, actually, where they weren't going to attack each other because, you know, Hitler intuitively knew that he had to pacify the Russians if he was going to attack westward. He didn't want to fight on two fronts. Don't fight a two-front war. Huh like the Princess Bride, never get into a land war in Asia. That's why we got all that military stuff over by Asia. Hey, you know, when you violate the fundamentals, you usually lose. And Hitler was drawn into and eventually attacked the Soviet Union. He attacked Bolshevism. He attacked uh, Russian Jewry, which he viewed as the existential fight for the Nazi movement. Why? What's the difference? And now I'm showing this scene. We have this same conflict on the streets of America. We have communists, which we call Antifa. And who funds those people? You know, they didn't just jump out there for nothing. Somebody, some secret society is funding these people and putting them together. They're not just out there organically. After all, they're trained. So somebody trained them and somebody paid for the training. Antifa. 
Hey, do you know anybody in Antifa? Uh, I used to. You did, huh? I, I used to actually have a friend that would say that they were a part of that uh, movement. Anti-fascists. Yeah. Communists, right? Yeah. They were communists, correct? Not In their minds, they're not. It's just to them, it's anti-fascist. They're like, oh, I'm against fascism. How could that be wrong? You know? Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> let's talk about it for a second. Okay, so you got the communists, the anti-fascists. Maybe an American anti-fascist doesn't realize he's a communist or she's a communist. And then you got the fascists, the Nazis. Well, both of these ideologies believe in the power of the state. Both of these ideologies are opposed to the idea of a Judeo-Christian God. They're anti-Christian. Both of them are anti-Christian. Nazism, communism are both overtly anti-Christian. Not Professor Penn making it up. Go read the literature. You got to discover it for yourself. So they had that in common. Both of them, these philosophies, Nazism and communism, believe in a totalitarian state governance where democracy, which we're going to talk about a little bit later downstream here today, where the idea of people working together in a relatively harmonious and Republican fashion or Democratic fashion, that's no good. We have to have state-centralized control for the good of the people, for the good of the people. The organization of the economy of both is state-central planning, and the fascist organization is that there are individuals who work in close cooperation with the state to accomplish state economic goals. In the communist model, the state actually owns the means to production. Uh, we thought, of course, that the Nazi fascist organization of economy was more efficient, but we've learned because of the rise of China that that was more about the German people than it was about Nazism. Because, you know, we have the Chinese with a very communist form of government, and they do just great economically. So it's really about the people and their industriousness and how hard they want to work. But these two groups are very similar. What is the difference? What is the difference? It's spiritual. Nazism is a political movement that is operationalizing a very Darwinist, Galtonian concept that the Nordic race is the master race. It's very similar to communism, except when you get to the bedrock, it's just about the Nordic German people, period. They're in charge. The Slavic people in this, you know, that the Germans fought, the Soviet Union, they were viewed by the, by the German people to be a much less developed race of people, and the Jews even less so. So the, the Nazis looked at the Soviet Union as a product of the Slavic race and the Jewish race, and in the mind of the Germans, they had overthrown the Tsars, which was a in the mind of the Germans, was a Germanic leadership. And there's a lot of truth to that. If you go up, go back and look at the lineage of the House of Windsor in England and the Tsars in Russia and of the royalty throughout Europe, there was a lot of German influence and German lineage in those groups. The Germans decided that everything good came from the master race. And the Slavs, of course, the Soviet Union, 
rejected that. They said, no, nah, we have a more egalitarian, at least in philosophy, an egalitarian model where workers of the world unite, not just master race workers, workers of the world unite. And those two ideologies were in conflict, not in terms of totalitarianism, not in, term of, not in terms of the centralization of power within the state, not in terms of how economics was organized, very similarly, but the goal of the one, which is to erect a master race, hey, they were against the overthrow of the czars, which they viewed as a Germanic leadership group. They were against the Slavs and the Jews that had, they viewed as taking over the Soviet Union, taking over Russia. So these two groups, we have to understand the roots of this because guess what? It's going on right here in the United States. So let's take a little look at uh, Nazis and communists, American style. Like love American style, Nazis and communists, American style. Let's take a look at this first clip here in Central Florida. Our top story at five, though, anti-Semitic rallies in Central Florida over the weekend sparking outrage and calls for action among people across the state. We're glad you're with us tonight. I'm Matt Osh. And I'm Lisa Bell. Demonstrators wearing Nazi clothing could be seen near UCF on Saturday and on an overpass along I-4 on Sunday. Some of you were even sending pictures into our newsroom as this was happening. Tonight we have team coverage. News 6's Nadi Yanis is speaking with Jewish community leaders. But first we begin with News 6's Eric Von Anken, who has the very latest on how government and county leaders are reacting and the investigation into these demonstrations. Eric. Lisa, the Orange County Sheriff's Office tells me that right now they're trying to determine did a crime occur here at this demonstration this weekend, was it more than just a legal demonstration, hateful or not, they say was a crime committed when a fight broke out here? Men and women with neo-Nazi armbands, flags and posters stood on the corner of this Waterford Lakes intersection on Saturday, shouting words of white supremacist hate. Orange County Sheriff's deputies confirm this video is part of their active and open investigation into the demonstration and this part of the video, a fight in the street. Investigators say involved the demonstrators and a passerby. UCF Chabad Rabbi Chaim Lipsier says it was a Jewish UCF student who was punched in the video. Yes, it was a, it was a Jewish UCF student that kind of got into a little bit of an alter, altercation with them. They pepper sprayed him and they... They, they spit on him and, you know, shoved him around and stuff like that. Also over the weekend, troopers broke up this demonstration of hate on an I-4 overpass in Orlando, telling News 6 it's illegal to obstruct traffic or hang signs on overpasses. Local leaders almost immediately condemned the hate. State Representative Anna Escamani was among the first last night, followed by the Orange County Sheriff, the Orlando Mayor, the Orlando Police Chief, State Senator Randolph Bracey, Florida Senate President Wilton Simpson today, U.S. Senator Rick Scott, and just this afternoon, Governor Ron DeSantis. We're going to take our record in Florida and what we've done, sign the strongest anti-Semitism bill in the Stop. country. I'm sure he didn't mean sign the strongest anti-Semitism bill in the country. What he meant was he wants to sign the strongest anti-anti-Semitism bill. Continue, please. We've stood, stared down companies who were indulged in BDS like Airbnb, and we've won. We've provided record funding for Jewish day schools, and we've had the strongest relationship between Florida and Israel than we ever had in terms of education, business, 
all these tremendous things that have happened since our, since our uh, state visit in 2019. The governor also strongly pushed back, he says, against inferences from Democrats accusing him of having something to do with this. He says absolutely not. He says, as you heard there, Florida has always strongly supported Jewish people. He called these demonstrators this weekend malcontents. And another word that we can't say on TV. We're now live in Waterford Lakes. Eric Von Eiken getting results to six. Eric, thank you. Well, they hung it on... Uh... Governor DeSantis, this uh, display of, I, why do they call them neo-Nazis? They're Nazis. Come on. They're, <laughs> they're dressed up as Nazis. They got Nazi regalia, and they're giving it this Nazi salute. I mean, they're not neo-Nazis. They're Nazis. I don't get into this neo thing. And they're hanging it on DeSantis because he is a Republican governor. And, you know, there's all this thing, oh, DeSantis is the big uh, antidote to Trump. Trump's just ruined. Uh well, let's say Trump goes away, and now DeSantis is the guy. Hey, he's a Nazi. That didn't take long, did it? He's a Nazi. What could be worse? So, you know, we, we got all this chatter in the Republican Party that Trump's unelectable because he's a neo-Nazi. You know, he's, he's this, he's that, he's indicted. He's You know, there's a whole litany of reasons why the RNC is anti-Trump. We need a new candidate. That's what they're saying. And I keep saying, hey, it doesn't matter who we put in the batter's box, they're going to be a Nazi. DeSantis isn't even in the batter's box, and he's a Nazi. Something to think about. But uh, let's, just, let's just pair this off with something else. Play this next clip. Well, that incident and others prompted the governor to put a public health order in place taking aim at gun violence. Action 7 News Pro John Carnelli is here with those details. Yeah, Doug, the order begins today and will be effective for 30 days unless it's renewed. The governor says she knows people will disagree with certain portions. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham says gun violence in New Mexico is a problem. Gun deaths are the leading cause of death for children 1 to 19 in New Mexico. From 2017 to 2021, 143 children were killed by guns. 49% of those were homicides. It's stats like those that led Governor Lou Stop, please. Uh-oh, that went by kind of interestingly. 49% of the deaths of children were homicides. You know what that means, Tanner? That means 51% were suicides. Isn't that interesting? That just kind of goes... In other words, the majority of the gun violence deaths by children were suicides. Oh, please continue to put in place a public health order centered around gun violence. It asks that no person other than officers shall possess guns at public schools or parks, and that while transporting guns, they must be in a locked container or have a trigger lock. The governor also laying out how the order will affect our state's open carry law. So effective immediately, no person other than a law enforcement officer or licensed security officer shall possess a firearm either openly or concealed within cities or counties averaging 1,000 or more violent crimes per 100,000 and more than 90 fire rela firearm-related emergency department visits. 
According to those standards, Bernalillo County and Albuquerque are the only two places in the state right now that are under that part of this emergency order. But Governor Lujan Grisham knows the order will likely face a legal challenge, as some would argue it's unconstitutional to not allow citizens to exercise their right to carry. I can invoke additional powers. No constitutional right, in my view, including my oath, is intended to be absolute. Zachary uh, no constitutional right is intended to be absolute. We don't know we don't need to go back to this governor. She's a communist. I don't care what she calls herself. Progressive, liberal, democrat. No, she's a communist. Because what she's saying is our constitution is there's no I mean, there's nothing enduring about our Constitution. Everything can change. And what she's doing here now is she is running out a beta test for the National Democrat establishment. She's trying to see if she can get away with abrogating the Constitution and restricting gun rights with executive order under the guise of a health emergency. And, of course, it is a health emergency when 51% of the gun deaths caused by suicide. Oh, that's definitely a mental health crisis. But I'm going to tell you a little story here about what happened to the Jews in Germany right after the Nazis took power in 1933. One of their first initiatives, of course, there was, they didn't have to pass any bills because they had absolute power. That's why I called it an initiative. They confiscated any guns owned by Jewish people. Up, oh, disarm them. That's scary, right? And of course, this is used as a justification for fighting against gun restrictions in this country. And scholars, if you look on Wikipedia, come out and say, well, it really couldn't have made any difference in Nazi Germany because Jews were less than 1% of gun owners. Not the point, scholars. The point is they removed the opportunity for individuals to defend themselves against threats from any source. They just disarmed the people. I'm going to read you something about uh, China. In the People's Republic of China, access by the general public to firearms is subject to some of the strictest control measures in the world, with the exception of individuals with hunting permits and some ethnic minorities Civilian firearm ownership is restricted to non-individual entities. In other words, people can't own guns in China. Why? They've removed the ability of the Chinese people to defend themselves against any threat. It's just what it is. So I'm just going to share with you, uh, to me, we're talking about the difference between Nazis and communists. So we got these Nazis rallying. And my goodness gracious, we got to get rid of everybody's guns because these Nazis are a threat to the health and safety of the people. These Nazis are a, a health crisis, an emergency. We have to protect the people from Nazis by removing the ability of people to protect themselves. That's the theme that's going on here. And we need to think this through. And remember, we're an underground transmission. I try to speak in a way that's going to keep me on platform 
And I'm going to hope that you have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. And so I'm going to leave this segment with a personal story. We've all heard of the concept of a recurring dream. Everybody familiar with that? If you're not, let me know in the live chat. We can have a 15-minute segment on recurring dreams. Tanner, do you know what a recurring dream is? Yeah. Do you have any? Uh, No. Great. I do. Would you like to know what my recurring dream is? If you like it or not, I'm going to tell you. And it's not fun. Oh, boy. Okay. Here's my recurring dream. Because as a young person, when my father told me the story of how my family was killed in the Ukraine and told me about individual people who were my relatives that were brutally and horrifyingly destroyed by a eugenicist genocidal regime called the Nazis who were implementing a eugenic strategy, I just couldn't understand why six million people consensually got in rail cars, consensually got out of rail cars, consensually walked into concentration camps, and were gassed. I mean, six million people. Hey, that's a lot of people. I mean, really, if you got 30 guards and 40,000 people, hey, there's going to be some people that get shot, but those guards aren't going to make it, right? And the people didn't rise up. And that really bothered me, that the people did not transmit the information one to the other, that they didn't organize politically. Or as I talked about my friends at the cafe in 1933, Rob and Scott, my best friends, we didn't get organized. We got killed. Of course, my, fa- my family, you know, I ran away. I, sub- I survived because we, we got out. But most of the people didn't get out, and I was so horrified by that. I, I started to have this terrible recurring dream, and the, re- re- the dream was I was in a concentration camp, and I rebelled personally, and I disarmed a Nazi guard and took his gun and started shooting German guards, and I ran for the wire, and I was shot and killed on the wire. And I've had this dream innumerable, innumerable times. And what this dream is is a expression of my helplessness and my rejection of helplessness. In a sense, you could say that the Professor Penn podcast is an outgrowth of that recurring dream because I do not want to die helpless. I don't want to go down a path of slavery and death. I want to go down a path of human well-being and freedom. So this idea of disarming people, this idea of making people subject to being unable to defend themselves, let us think about that. Let us not be deplatformed. Let us think about the juxtaposition of these two ideas that we have Nazis who threaten the well being of our country, and we have communist politicians that are putting out executive orders of health emergencies to disarm the people because the threat is there, after all. These people are threatening. So these are the issues that we have to deal with. We have to think about them very systematically. We have to discover it for ourselves. We've got to find it for ourselves. So let's talk a little bit about the value of citizenship. Now, this is really critical. The value of our citizenship. 
I'm a citizen of Minnesota, state of Minnesota, and I live in a city called Minnetonka, Minnesota. Minnetonka is a western suburb. It's a relatively affluent suburb compared to the core city. But we have some very wealthy people, and we have some very middle-class people. And before I became active in politics, they passed legislation in Minnetonka in our city that instituted what's called ranked choice voting. That's called ranked choice voting. And you need to look this up. Ranked choice voting is not I vote for A or B. This is a, a voting system where there could be eight people in the, on the ballot and you rank the people from top to bottom and there's a very complex process about how the winner is selected. And this is gaining steam. It's a cultural change. It's very important to the uh, left. It's a, it's a leftist idea to change the way we vote. Now, I want to motivate the people of Minnesota who are pushing out this content to start to work together to oppose this ranked choice voting. And as it so happens, a very valiant political activist in Minnetonka has collected enough signatures to get a ranked choice ballot referendum on the November election ballot, which means the people of Minnetonka can vote to end ranked choice voting. And I'm going to urge all citizens to get out to the polls to oppose ranked choice voting. And why am I doing it? Well, I live in Minnetonka. I'm trying to lead a political movement that restores the value of American citizenship. I know ranked choice voting is a scam for two reasons. The first reason is I don't understand it. I've been reading about it for two years, and I still don't get it. And if I don't get it, and you know Professor Penn, I'm pretty educated. I'm not a dummy. I'm not saying I'm the smartest person. But when I read something the first time through and I don't get it, I know it's a scam. Because if it's for the people, for the well-being of the people, it's very simple. Like you want to be healthier? Take a walk. That's not very complicated, is it? To go outside and take a walk? Very simple. I think you understand me. I think we understand each other when I say take a walk. And when I say I do not understand ranked choice voting, how it works, I'm being very honest. I've read about it. I've tried to understand it. If I don't understand it, it's a scam. And what it does is it reduces the value of my citizenship because sometimes my vote is not even a winner or a loser. The people I vote for just disappear in the ranked choice. So I don't even vote for the loser, not the winner, not the loser. I just don't exist anymore in the political process. It's a way to diminish the power that you and I have as American citizens. So we need to get out in Minnetonka. We're focusing all of conservative media, as you're going to see later on in this broadcast. We're focusing conservative media on this fight. Now, Minnesota, it's, it's about Minnesota, but it's about whatever city or state you live in because the same globalist versus nationalist arguments are going on everywhere. The same communist versus fascist arguments are going on everywhere. This has never ended. It never began. As you're going to see when we get down the road a little bit farther in the podcast, this has gone on since the beginning of human history, this argument. This is an ongoing battle of ideas. Freedom and well-being or slavery and death. 
You pick them. It's up to each one of us to make that decision. So, push if you're pushing out the content, the election is coming up in November. We need to get American citizens to the polls. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. Those are artificial distinctions. Let's think about this as American citizens. Why would we want to have an election process which diminishes the value of my citizenship? Everything we do as American citizens should be to increase it, unless, of course, you want global governance. If you want global governance, where our leadership is so far away from our neighborhoods that they do not care about our families, they do not care about our children, they do not care about our neighborhoods, then hey, have at it. I'm trying to convince you to come over to the nationalist side. We want governance that responds to the needs of individual people, individual families, their well-being and their longevity. And ranked choice voting is the first thing we got to change in Minnetonka where I live. So please go to the polls, and I'm going to give you more information on this in the podcast to come. It's our first skirmish to see if we can develop the political will to move the needle and change the, 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 the diminishment, the, the, the reduction in the value of who I am as an American citizen. Nothing could be more important. And let me just show you what these communists do. Let's call them out for what they are. Let's not mince around about it. You know, let's get off this Democrat and Republican thing. We got nationalists. We got globalists. We got American citizens. We got communists, worldwide communism. Let's play this piece on redesigning the Minnesota flag. Well, you see it flying above the state capitol and other prominent locations across the state. Our state flag was adopted by the 1957 legislature. But there is an effort now at the capitol to redesign it along with the state seal. Fox 9's Rose Schmidt live from the capitol tonight to explain. Rose? Well, this is not the first time a proposal like this has been discussed in this building, but the plan is gaining traction. A point of contention, though, is who should be involved in the flag redesign process. For more than six decades, this royal blue flag has represented Minnesota, but there are state lawmakers who feel it's time for a change. The Minnesota message must be timeless. It must use traditional colors and symbols, and it must be unifying. A proposal discussed Thursday in a Senate committee would create a commission to redesign the state flag and state seal. The bill's author says the seal currently depicts a white settler taking possession of the land, while a Native American rides on a horse in the background. And it's hard to be um, proud of a seal that seems to say our indigenous people are not wanted in their own state. In 2001, an organization of flag enthusiasts and scholars ranked Minnesota's flag among the top 10 worst in the U.S. and Canada because it fails to follow these five principles, simple, meaningful, basic colors, no lettering or seals, and distinctive. A Republican senator offered his own design. It depicts the North Star. But it was quickly shot down in committee. The redesign group would have lawmakers from both parties, plus residents and members of several minority group councils, African Heritage, Latino Affairs, Asian Pacific, and Native American tribes. But Republicans questioned whether that would accurately represent the state's makeup. Which leaves about 83% of our population that's not being represented on this board specifically. Uh, we'd have nobody from the German community, the Irish community. We have a pretty big Polish caucus here. No one from the Polish uh, community. 
The new designs would be adopted no later than the middle of May in 2025 under this bill. Now the proposal did advance out of one committee today and is headed to another. Reporting live from the state capitol, Rose Schmidt, Fox 9. It is so the issue here is not whether or not the flag should be redesigned. It's how they're doing it and why they're doing it. Because when you uproot all the symbols of a culture, you're destroying the traditional culture. I'm just commenting on it. I'm not trying to run afoul of the constabulary. I'm saying when you change the cultural symbols, when you change cultural costumes, when you change cultural norms, when you change cultural rules, you're changing the culture. Now, culture is always changing. But the point that the uh, legislator brought out so interestingly is there's all these groups that are being empowered to participate in the redesign of the flag, but there's all these other groups that are being left out. Come on, if we're going to go to egalitarianism and fairness, could we be fair? Or are we just redescribing what it means to say we hold one race to be superior and another to be inferior? You know, it doesn't really change that if we just erect a new group of masters. You know, what are we doing here? Are we ending slavery or just setting up a new group of masters? We need to think this through very carefully. We need to think it through very carefully. It's the underlying philosophy, or as I like to say, Stockholm Syndrome. You know, when someone who gets kidnapped takes on all the beliefs and tries to fit in with the oppressor, that's not healing. That is a psychological condition, a mental health condition. Let us not fall into the trap of reproducing the same inequity with a different set of rulers. That's not progress. That's the same bleep, but just another day. All right, we're going to move on. My next subject, a very important subject, and I call this the American Jubilee. And I've had a lot of conversation with Royce White about this, and I think he just walked in because he's going to be podcasting me right after me. The American Jubilee. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Well, Royce is running for Senate. And one of the things we've talked about a lot, and I, and I hope he champions this, what are we doing? We're fighting about what's going to happen when the inevitable system crash comes. And why do I know it's going to come? Well, because I'm a businessman with some international chops. And when you borrow money to the tune of $33 trillion and you keep borrowing and borrowing and borrowing with no end in sight, when you have people like Representative Tom Emmer from Minnesota, the House Majority Whip, telling us that we're passing bills that are the greatest cuts to spending in American history, yet since that bill's passed, they've run the tab up another trillion and it's going to go up another $2 trillion next year. So they're going to end the Biden administration at about $35 trillion in debt. Tanner, you're a debt slave. How does it feel? It doesn't feel good. No. Do you know it? Yeah. Do the people in your generation know it? No. I mean, no, no. I would say that they do, and that makes a big point of why we're the doomers. We just know that there's nothing to really build up to. Just there's kinda, nothing good coming. Yeah, there's nothing good coming. Kind of a sense. You don't know why, but... It's like, you know, the end is near. You just don't know why. Is yeah, that that's exactly great. it. Well, you know what? The boomers are in the same. When it comes to this, the doomers and the boomers are exactly aligned. They know something's wrong. They just can't articulate it to themselves. No, I think the reason why is different. I think the, the doomers really are too young to figure it out. 
The boomers, they just don't want to look. They don't want to look because they don't want to give up their stack. They think if they got a little money in the bank, they won the game. Hey, if you're a boomer, they're coming for every penny you got. Every last single penny. They're going to take every. Do you have a billion? Because if you don't have a billion dollars, you're screwed. They're going to take every last penny away from you. In fact, if you're living out in Minnetonka in a $4 million home, like some of my fellow Republican Party members are, you know what they're going to do? They're going to take illegal immigrants and they're going to put them in your house because they need housing. They're already doing it in New York. Wake up. What we're arguing about here is what happens when the system crashes. And I like to say we're either going to have the Great Reset or the Great American Jubilee. These are two competing ideologies. We're at a fork in the road. I keep saying this. One is about freedom and well-being, and the other one's about slavery and death. It's you pick them. And when I mean you, I mean you. It's up to you and you and you and me and Tanner and every American citizen because we have the power, should we exercise it, to have a jubilee instead of a reset. We got two choices, self-governance under a God, as promised to us in our Constitution, or like this, you know, governor from New Mexico just said, you know, the Constitution's just a document. It doesn't really matter. It can be updated. You know, not a big deal. We can change. Just words on a paper. So we can be governed by a state, like the communist state or the Nazi state. You pick it. You know, it's kind of, what's the difference, communists and Nazis? There is no difference. The difference is a scam. We're going to talk about that next time. I, de I developed an artificial distinction today, but if the state does not believe in God and the state's totalitarian, hey, what's the difference, right? What's the difference to me as an American citizen, or in that case, an ex-American citizen, because I'll be a subject, not a citizen? We got debt versus equity. Are we going to have a debt society or an equity society? Well, we're $33 trillion in debt. Quite obviously, we got a debt society. And let me ask you a question. Do you owe money on your credit card? Tanner, do you have a credit card? No, I do not. Good for you. Tear up your, you know, you have a thing called the scissors. Snip, snip, snip. Get rid of those credit cards. Stop using credit cards. You're, that is a convenience that's leading you to a digital prison. Yes, you can't get your credit ratings going to go down without a credit card. I get it. You know what? Credit. You're going to have credit so you can borrow money so you can be a slave. Why? Let's develop equity. So that's what we're talking about here is the great American Jubilee. There's going to come a moment out here where the currency is going to fail. Now, I don't know if it's tomorrow or many years from now because the Fed has tremendous power. And the central banks around the world have the power to regulate the value of our currencies. The currency will fail when they want it to fail, not when I want it to fail. And when it fails, we got two paths. And it's, this is why we're doing politics. If we have American nationalists in the Senate, people like Royce White, who care about the American people and believe in God, we're going to have a jubilee. And what does the jubilee mean? It means who's going to pay the tab? You and me, as American citizens, going to get taxed by the government and they're going to take everything away from us. Or 
The masters are going to pay. The banks are going to pay. The multi-billionaires are going to pay, or some combination thereof. Where does the concept of the Jubilee come from? This is very interesting. Did you know that the Jubilee is a religious concept? comes right out of the Old Testament. Yes, it does. And I'm going to read right out of the Old Testament, not that I'm thumping the Bible, but because these are ancient arguments which show me that this issue of globalism and nationalism has existed since day one. Count off the Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. <coughs> Excuse me. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate that fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In the year of the jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. What this means is, every 50 years, if you got down on your luck and you had to sell your farmland, you're supposed to go back to the person you sold it to and be fair one with one another and buy it back if you have the money. But if you don't have the money, the person you sold it to is religiously bound to give the land back to you. That means land ownership belongs to God, and the value of the land is not in the land itself, but in the ability of the land to produce food. A very different concept than what we have here in the United States today. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. This is right out of the Old Testament. Do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee. Hey, it's called prorated. And they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. Not the value of the land, but the future value of the crops that come off the lands. It's about making food for individual families. Self-governance. Right in the Old Testament which, of course, we're told is the patriarchy, and let's just ignore it. Of course they are, because it involves individual self-governance. It's not about the state. When the years are many, you are to increase the price, and when the years are few, you are to decrease the price, because what is really being sold to you is the number of the crops, the ability to produce food for the people. Listen to this one. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. Oh, my goodness gracious. And you know, follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you will live safely in the land. You know, we've gotten away from this. We've just gotten away from it. Over In our heads, we've gotten away from it. It's not about time. It's about the ideas that have been planted in our heads. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is the Lord's and you reside in God's land 
as foreigners and strangers. In other words, God made the earth. God made the earth. It's his. We're renters. Be kind to one another. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. So if I buy your land because you need the money, and on the 50th year you come back to me and say, I like my land back, it's yours. I am religiously obligated to return it to you. It's a completely different concept of land ownership. It's very communist, actually, if you think about it. But let's discredit the book, because in this case, individuals are sovereign. And in the communist model, the state is sovereign. So we have a conflict now between individual self-governance and statism. Right in a book that's thousands of years old, written by primitives. Come on. How can we discredit this? Everything you need to know is in this story. I got, this is a great one. Listen to this one. Anyone who sells a house in a walled city retains the right of redemption a full year after its sale. During the time that one year, it's like a warranty, a one-year warranty. During that time, the seller may redeem his house. But if it is not redeemed before a full year has passed, the house in the walled city shall belong permanently to the buyer and the buyer's descendants. So the Old Testament is making a a distinction between globalism and nationalism before we even had the idea of globalism and nationalism. If you're living in the countryside and you're self-governing, and you get down on your luck and you have to give up your land for money to survive, you get your land back in the 50th year. You always are given a right to self-govern. It cannot be taken from you if you're living off the land. But if you go to the city, now the land has an intrinsic value because you cannot go grow crops in the city. And you've given up your self-governance for the safety of a walled city. I could talk about this for five hours. We're going to stop talking about it and come back to it. Because in this ancient book about the Jubilee, this this discussion of the Jubilee, we're talking about the forgiveness of debts for those that will self-govern. And if we are self-governing in the United States of America, when the time comes, the land will be returned to us and we will liberate ourselves from debt slavery and we will recreate our country as one nation under God, where a creator has granted us unalienable rights, those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's all we have to do, is get back to understanding who we are and how this game works. Everything else is just a con. We're being conned. We're being conned. Conned. It's a long con. Oh, you know, when you're being conned and you're a mark, all you got to do is wake up and say, hey, the con's over. And guess what? The con artists, they run away. They run away because they know their scam's been revealed. And that's what we're doing here together on the Professor Penn Podcast. We're looking at these cons and these scams. We're talking about them together. We're discovering them together. And we're going to look at the con artists and we're going to go, hey, you know what? The scam's up. And away they're going to run. Just that simple. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, 
Do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of the Jubilee. The slaves are let free. They and their children are to be released, and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. This is an anti-slavery document that is fenced as a document of slavery. Well, you know, the biggest lies work the best. Or as the minister for propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, said, tell a lie often enough and it becomes the truth. So when you see all these Antifa people screaming about fascists, religious fascists, read the book. If you read the book, you'll find the truth, the truth that can set us free. We wouldn't. Remember, the truth shall set us free. Remember that? I stumbled into that one backwards. Thank you for listening. It's about the great jubilee. It's about the great jubilee, the American jubilee, where our debts are forgiven and we're let loose from the debt slavery that we're all living under right now. I think, Tanner, you probably owe a couple hundred thousand dollars when you take that $33 trillion and divide it over the 350 million Americans. You're in the hole a couple hundred thousand already. How's that make you feel? Not good, right. And every year it's going to go up. It's going to keep going up, and I'll tell you what their plan is. They're going to foreclose on the net worth of the American people. Oh, some of you are in your 40s. I bet you have a 401K. I'm not giving investment advice. Let me make this very clear. I don't give medical advice. I don't give investment advice. But if you have a tax-protected retirement account, whose money does that belong to? Ask yourself that question. If you have your money in a bank, whose money does that belong to? You know, the Old Testament, it was talking about no money in the bank. Grow your own food. Grow your own food. Set yourself free. Oh, no, we don't do that, Professor Penn. Why not? Why can't you have a garden? Why can't I do? I'm growing my own food, and I'm far from being a farmer, and I'm starting to get back to it because I want to be free. I certainly don't want to be starved to death. Did you see those pictures of those people at the beginning of the podcast today? We're going to play it at the end because I know many of the viewers and listeners come in late. Take a look at what it looks like to be starved to death. Okay? Being starved to death is the most efficient means of genocide in world history. It doesn't even cost a bullet. You don't have to house. Just starve them to death. Okay. The antidote to being starved to death, the countermeasure, grow your own food. Grow your own food. Grow your own food. Okay, it's on, baby. The fight has begun. Tanner, could you play this piece at the end here? Joining me now is my good friend David Penn, Minnesota, the uh, brainchild behind behind Target.com and my uh, partner in that company, but David, before we get to that, I want to talk about Minnesota because your effort to take over the Republican Party of Minnesota, I believe this is the RNC's Waterloo. If you guys can take this over, it is rhino central in this convention. Uh, it is going to send shockwaves right up to Ron, Romney McDaniel's office. They're not going to see this coming. And then you're going to be in a position to nominate Royce White for U.S. Senate to run against 
Amy Klobuchar, um, white, 100% MAGA, and maybe maybe actually go out and win this race. David, tell us what is the watershed moment going on right now in the Minnesota GOP? Morning, John. I'm really excited to talk to you about this. We have evolved. You know, we have uh, been suffering as uh, nationalists. Let's just call it nationalists. I want to get away from this artificial distinction of Democrats and Republicans until we actually have a distinction between these parties. We need to create our own unique nationalist Republican Party. Hey, we don't have it in Minnesota, and we don't have it in most of the states. We have this globalist group, this really faithless group, that has dominated our politics since, so I don't know, 2000 and Bush. Call it 2000 and Bush. And here in Minnesota, we've gotten a group of real players together. I mean, people that are committed, they're ready to go to work, and we have a new strategy. And the strategy is very simple. It's a social media strategy. We're going to catch up with the Democrat. They've been kicking our butts with this social media thing for 20 years. Now they're going to get it back. We're coming right back at you. We are motivating the individual citizens of Minnesota. We're asking them for one day a year. We're not asking them to go out and knock on doors. We're not asking them to go lick envelopes or go to chicken wing parties. We're asking them to do two things. Come to our social media sites. That's our candidate, Royce White, and the Professor Penn podcast. Because I'm a podcaster. I'm with you, John, on this. Come to our social media sites. We're everywhere. And download our shorts and our clips and push them out to your social media networks so that your friends and neighbors know what's going on. We are going to share with Minnesotans, and of course, this model works in every state. We're going to share how the secret society of the Republican Party of Minnesota works so that when you get involved, you'll know how to get in and out with the minimum investment of your time, but you, as an American citizen, will get a seat at the table and you'll control the destiny of this country. And all we need is a day a year. David, have you guys show- have have you guys have you guys identified a candidate yet for chairman? Well, I've been asked to run for chairman. We'll see. It's a it's a it's a two okay, year run. process. What's the wait? What's the hold up? Well, they're not. It's not even up again. For What's a year. the hold so up? Let's just, let's just get the John. We need to get the delegates in place first. As a business person, as your partner in Tiregate, what I've learned in business, one step at a time. Right now, we need to get this social media network established. It's our underground information highway. We're going to get our delegates. If you're interested, you can come to Target.com and contact me. You can go to John's website. We'll be having a free people website very soon. You can go to Royce White Senate campaign website. Let us know who you are if you would like to become a Royce White for Senate delegate. We will help get the information out of what you have to do, how you have to do, and how we're going to get Royce endorsed as the Republican Party candidate for the Senate. So, Tanner, little housekeeping for everybody. What Tanner's going to do is we did a one-minute live read for Target. He's going to cut that. We had about 10 minutes on ranked choice voting. You're going to cut that. And you're going to cut this last piece on. It's on. And you're going to find this information, these clips, on my social media uh, 
sites, the Professor Penn Podcast on X, on Rumble, for example, you're going to find on Getter, it's going to be there. You go there and you pull these clips down and you create your own information highway, your own underground railroad of information by creating your own social media page and creating your own followers and your own connections and pushing this information out. And if you're in Minnesota, but you know, you can do this same thing in Kansas. You can do this same thing in Washington. You have your own local politics. The key is we, the American citizens, we are the force multipliers to get this information out. And in Minnesota, we're going to give very specific information about how the party works, about how the process works. We have a goal. We want 10,000 Minnesotans that have never done it before to come to caucuses on February 27th, 2024, and get elected as delegates so that they can go through the process and become Royce White delegates to our state convention. If we can get Royce endorsed as the Republican Party, not if, when we get Royce White endorsed as Republican Party candidate in Minnesota. That will be worldwide news. We will be changing. Each one of you will have a place in world history forever, forever in the past, forever in the future, forever right now, forever. It's a forever commitment for you to give us 20, to give the movement 24 hours a year. And we're going to have all kinds of programs to get you get you the information you need. We're going to come around the state and meet you. We want a, a, a new statewide community in Minnesota, but we want a new statewide community in Florida, in Oregon, in Pennsylvania, everywhere. We, the American people, have got to get off the bench, get in the game, and make our wills felt. Because if we don't, let's just be very clear. It's slavery and death or freedom and well-being. That's where we're at. We're at the, well, actually, we're past the crossroads. We're actually quite a ways down towards slavery and death. But, you know, the best way to stop walking in the wrong direction is simply turn around. All we have to do is turn around and take a step back in the other direction. And, of course, we were watching President Biden saying that we, the mega-Republicans, want to take the country backwards. No, we do not want to go backwards. If you're a racist or an anti-Semite or a homophobe or a xenophobe, get out of the Republican Party. Go join those Nazis that we showed today. They're waiting for you with open arms. If you're a homophobe, a xenophobe, an anti-Semite or a racist, get out. We are not going to make the mistakes that were made by previous nationalist movements. We are an American family of people who believe in the constitution of this country. We believe in a creator that has granted us unalienable rights. We believe in the well-being of the American people. We believe in science such that it is subordinated to faith. We believe that young people like Tanner deserve a chance to have a good and free life. We believe in the American Jubilee. We believe in borders and limited ambition. And we believe in the end of the American empire and the beginning of an American renaissance. That's what we believe in. 
That's what we care about. That's why we're working together. So when Tanner cuts this one-minute clip on Tireget and the clip on ranked choice voting and the clip on getting involved, and you see that on our social media platforms, and we're also going to be pushing this out at you, we're going to get very sophisticated at this. What we're asking you to do is send this out to everyone you know and ask them to send it out to everyone they know. And then those American citizens that have a heart to fight for freedom, they will come to us and we will be friends with them and we will break bread with them and we will make a community with them and we will listen to them. We will not use them. We will not disregard them. We will not view them as data. We will view them as American citizens. We are working together for human freedom and human well-being. And I say this to you with all my heart and all my soul in the hopes that we can come together quickly because time, time, what is time? We're either on time or we're too late. That's what it is. We're either on time or too late. So we're going to go out for those of you who came late today because I, you know, I'm in the live chat and I watch people come and many of the audience comes a little bit after the beginning. We're going to go out with what we started with, which is the beautiful Barber Adagio to Spring, Adagio for Strings, as a soundtrack to the horrible video images of what happens when a society chooses slavery and death instead of freedom and well-being. I thank you for joining. I appreciate your participation very much. I love the live chat conversations. Check out Royce White. Please call me crazy. I know many of you already are doing that. Spread the Professor Penn podcast. It's the election season. It's time to get it on. Thank you very much.